Welcome to the Humans of Hospitality podcast with me, Mark Cribb. So this is the week where Rishi has given much of our industry a further lifeline by extending the furlough scheme through to October. And though we wait nervously for the details of the joint funding he mentioned from August onwards and whether our sector may qualify for further support once the scheme is removed for much of the country. We shall just have to wait and see. Uh, Personally, I would love to see some flexibility in the scheme, being able to use team members part-time. The current fully-off or fully-on furlough approach is costing the government more than it needs to and making exploring ways of reopening our sector in some guise more challenging. By way of example, I've set up my hotel to offer a drive through restaurant food collection service just a couple of evenings per week. And the opportunity for me to be able to pay a team member two days per week, but furlough three days per week would be mutually beneficial to me and to the business and to the government in sharing the burden. Uh, if any of you have got any other thoughts on that or how you're managing to uh, to work in, in those sort of conditions, please do email me via mark at humansofhospitality.co.uk and uh, I can share it with some of the key industry contacts. Now, today's guest is Rupert from Conquer Spirit, which is a gin distiller down in Bournemouth. And I've seen a number of distilleries moving into the sanitizer market, and I really wanted to find out more about how and why. I think it demonstrates, again, the creative versatility of people in hospitality and is a great example of another pivot that we are all having to take to find a way to help our businesses navigate this crisis. Rupert and I chat about some of the technicalities of shifting from booze to sanitizer, such as how to get the HMRC on board so you don't have to pay £25 in duty per litre of sanitizer produced. And actually, the speed that the HMRC moved on all that kind of stuff, I think, reflects further positive efforts behind the scenes from the government to try and get the private sector to support the public sector as much as possible through things like sanitizer as well as PPE and feeding our key workers. We also touch on the very crowded space of craft distillers and who will and will not survive this crisis and what trade may look like on the other side, as well as a couple of other positive pivots Rupert has seen, such as sleep packs for nurses. I very much hope you enjoy our chat and if you can support the podcast and help keep us on the air, please check out the tip jar via our Patreon page at humansofhospitality.co.uk forward slash donate. Thank you. Rupert from Conquer Gin, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Hugely appreciated. Uh, before we get going, can I just ask are you: Are you at home, and are you and your family all safe and well? Yeah, I'm in my bedroom, which I keep sort of when I'm on my sort of phones to you know business calls. I keep saying, "Yeah, I'm in my bedroom." It just makes me sound like a twelve-year-old running a gin company. It's quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's become your home office, or yeah, that's just yeah, your? It's exactly. the quieter spot. Yeah, that, you know, it's become my home office, and I'm fully dressed. I'm not in bed. Okay, that's good to know. Uh, to be fair, I've spent a lot of time on Zoom calls with my FD um, over the last couple of months, and he also he refuses to have an office at home because he doesn't agree fundamentally with working from home, and therefore he is always on his bed uh, when I when I have these calls with him, which has been uh, certainly disconcerting for the first couple of weeks. I've kind of got used to it now. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. The the new world that we're in. Um, so you were one of the very first guests that I interviewed probably a year ago, I would imagine. So thank you for doing that. But for the people that don't know you, can you just explain, you know, what's your role and what is Conquer Gin, please, Rupert? Um, my Yeah, so um, my role is, in fact, I founded Conquer Spirit. Um, so we are a gin distillery based down in, in Bournemouth. Um, and yet yeah, founder and now sort of MD um, and sort of 
yeah, heading up the ship, I suppose. Um, we've got a team of lose track these days, a team of six, six, seven. Um, and yeah, we, we're at sort of what we call uh, what we like to kind of coin the kind of phrase of like genuine craft distillery. So we, we do everything from sort of start to finish and all in Southport and Dorset. Amazing. And to, and to give a sort of bit of a, a sort of indication of size, I suppose you you supply directly to the hospitality industry, but also you're in some of the supermarkets, are you, or some of the, yeah. n- the national retailers at least? Yeah, so we um, we are five years old. Um, we And we sell into the on-trade and the off-trade, so off-trade being independent wine shops, farm shops, um, but also we supply into Waitrose, Tesco's M&S and Ocado um, and and then yeah on trade uh, well when when the pubs are open we uh, yeah sell into bars restaurants hotels yeah across the country amazing and what's the sort of split how much is into the on trade and how much is into retail it's maybe 50 50 I'd say okay um it's yeah, it's going to probably shift in, in, in future months, in future years. But that's, yeah, that's the kind of, at the moment, that's the split. That that must be quite handy, particularly at the moment with the on-trade being completely shut down. It must be nice to have a retail arm to the business as well. It is, although um, it's all been affected, I'd say. Um, it's So while while we have all this route to market in supermarkets, they it's probably getting a bit better now, but certainly in the first six weeks of all this um we just weren't a priority so uh, in tesco our shelves were empty because uh, obviously they just didn't have the staff to you know stock the luxury spirits aisle they're too busy you know putting the shelves sort of pasta and bread and stuff so toilet rolls it hasn't been it hasn't been i did think initially when i was sort of in battle battle stations i thought well you know the supermarkets will carry on because people are going to be stocking up and they and they did but the, the supermarkets didn't have the resource to place the orders or or the probably inclination inclination to place orders. Yeah. Right rightly so, okay. so I thought. Yeah. Okay, well, look, before we get into, you know, sort of what you're doing now and the implications mm. fully, um, if I can just get you to cast your mind back to mid-March, because I'm guessing uh, gin is a summer drink. I know you have a tendency to do lots of uh, outside events and festivals. So what were things looking like then? Did you did you have a lot of outdoor things booked into the calendar for this summer? And, and how was trade? And, you know, were things yeah. pretty positive? And how were you getting ready pre-pandemic? Yeah, I think, I think we ended up having our best ever March, um, which was pretty amazing um, and that was even with the latter half of March all kicking off with the Covid stuff we'd, we'd just moved over to um, um, Love Drinks our distributor uh, something that I don't know whether I've, I've told you about yet Mark but no I'm going to take I might take a little bit of credit for that Rupert that's exciting yeah that was through introduction so um, Kirsty she reached out to you didn't she to get hold of my details um, so we, we yeah so that's another conversation but we, we're moving over to a distributor model so we've basically got a team of professionals heading up our sales and distribution um, across the UK. So that kind of happened in in, in late March, April. Um, our, our event side of things, actually, in, in actually a huge strike of kind of sort of good planning, good fortune, I think. We, we'd actually already wound back our events for this year a great deal. So in previous years, events have been a really significant part of what we do. Um, and I made the like well before this happened, I made the decision that we would pull back a little bit from that and focus our attention on on different things. Because um, it's a huge, 
well, it's really risky actually. Um, and you, you sink a lot of time and, and costs into going to events and then just cross your fingers and hope that it the sunshine, the, the, the sunshine. So, um, I, we, we hadn't actually, you know, paid in and booked for a load of events this year, which had then been cancelled. We had, I think, two London Coffee Festival we were going to go to, um, and maybe another, a few other ones, but generally, um, yeah that's really lucky because i've been to some of your events thinking of sort of crisis food festival where you have these huge yeah. marquees and, and, and great vibe and great energy but were they predominantly then a sort of a, a brand awareness exercise rather than part of the revenue generating um yeah completely oh yeah so all our all our events um sort of wash their face in the year so while we might do some bars that were quite profitable in terms of you know selling lots of gnts we're also doing that same weekend. We're doing two other pop-up sort of, you know, brand brand events where we're not taking any money. So um, generally, they wash their face. So the income from the bars paid for all the other stuff we were doing, free and giveaways and all that kind of stuff. Um, right. Church Food Festival we were going to do. We just didn't get contacted by the organisers. I, I don't know what they're doing with that that one. Obviously, that didn't happen anyway. But yeah, that we were hanging on to, and we, we were definitely wanting to do the local ones. We just it got a bit out of hand with so many events it's crazy yeah well that what what a stroke of good fortune that yeah. is then in many ways yeah, that yeah. you didn't have all of that um booked in so from an impact of the coronavirus then do you remember um sort of when it became obvious i suppose that that was going to have a significant impact on on your business and the trade can you just talk us through that time period and what yeah. happened so um Obviously, it was on everyone's radar for quite a few weeks, even before it was sort of in, in a European country. You know, it was on the radar, and I was looking at that thinking, wow, okay, this could have significant impact. Um, but you kind of just, I think it's probably just the way you think about business, you kind of crack on regardless. I think it was only until suddenly there was this kind of like rumour of pubs closing that the penny dropped, and I thought, oh, wow, okay. And then, um, and then that closure happened. Um, and that was, I, I literally remember thinking, right, well, that, that means that we'll be putting 80% of the team on to furlough and we'll be just running off our website. Um, and yeah, pretty, dra- pretty drastic measures. Um, I mean, to put it in perspective, we are currently at about 15% of normal trading, I'd say. So it, it has, uh, basically, it has all switched off. Yeah, that's a huge impact, isn't it? I mean, as yeah. somebody sitting here with zero percent revenue, and uh, well, until Friday actually, when we did a little bit, but uh, yeah, yeah I, I, that's more than I would have imagined. I would have, I would have hoped that the the retail sort of part, yeah, yeah exactly, fifty-fifty split. You'd imagine there'd be a bit more, but um, so while um, and I'm not sure whether they, I've lost track of it, but the, the wine shops were allowed to reopen at one point, which was a little bit strange, but it was welcomed. But not a lot of wine shops have actually done that, um, so. Uh, for example, the Jolly Vintner, which is uh, Jim locally, he just, I think he's doing just deliveries. So while he was, while he got the thumbs up to be open, he made the call not to. So, um, so yeah, it, essentially a lot more than 50% was turned off. It was, um, it's basically that the, the web, our website has, has, has done really well and has, has helped out a lot. So we've run a promotion uh, constant sort of twenty percent promotion on all the products. We're also selling hand sanitizer through it, um, and that's ticked over. And I think that's more or less, bar a few orders, that's more or less what that our, our only income from 
the spirits side of things. Yeah. Okay. So one of the primary reasons that I wanted to talk to you, I think I was uh, reminded, I think I saw something in your Facebook page last week um, where there was just a sort of, I don't know, a mountain of uh, yeah. plastic containers. So sanitizer, where did this idea come from? Oh, it's just been a just dream. Pivot into sanitizer. And I've always wanted to run a hand sanitizer. <laughs> <laughs> just, oh, excellent yeah. i'm glad you, you just used conquer as a front just yeah, to give you this opportunity business was just a means to an end really to be able to make um yeah well, it doesn't surprise make me alcohol tastes disgusting and put it all over your hands <laughs> good well thank you for the time and we'll catch up again soon yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um well it, to be honest it's a bit it's a bit crazy so while while the pubs were still open so while you guys were still still trading but there was all this kind of um, it was getting pretty serious around COVID and everyone was talking about keeping clean. And, and you, I think, you know, the hospitality industry was just sort of clinging on by its fingernails to kind of stay open. And so we we got requests from bars and restaurants saying, you know, can, can you guys make hand sanitizer so we can protect our staff and our customers? Um, we were already sniffing around the idea by using our, um, so part of the distillation process we have, what's called the heads of the spirit, which is the first part of the spirit to come off the still, um, which never ends up in the bottle. It's, um, it's a kind of waste product, essentially. So we had, I think we had about uh, 100 litres or so of this head, um, high ethanol, high, high, high percentage ethanol, which we converted into uh, a hand sanitizer and gave away to essentially all of our customers we sent it out. So, so to all the wine shops, bars, restaurants, um, 70 mil bottle and just and it was really well received really well received um and it was just allowed um bars and restaurants to have one on by their till say so that they them and their customers could have a squirt and clean um and that just kicked off social media like we you know like, like nobody's business and, and actually got calls in from local radio stations and the, and the local press um and it ended up getting so much sort of publicity that we ended up having calls from uh care homes um dorset police the nhs saying can you supply us um which point i sort of started thinking well not really and we're not really set up and we've run out of this waste as well you know it was only a set amount um yeah, and then from that, from then on in, it's gone to the what you to the post that you mentioned about you know mountains of jerry cans and stuff. So um, yeah, it all got a bit out of hand. Yeah, well, we'll we'll see just out of hand in a minute. So I didn't. I was very grateful to receive your uh, sanitizer. It was, uh, as you said, um, exceptionally helpful in those last few days that we were clinging on for dear life. But all of our suppliers were out of out of stock. Um, so thanks for doing that. However, I wasn't one of the people that automatically phoned you and thought, "Oh, I, I bet my local friendly gins dis- distiller." can make hand sanitizer so when you say customers were calling you this is presumably because they'd seen some publicity about it was possible because did you know that you could make hand sanitizer out of the heads of gin yeah so um it'd been happening um with enough i i saw it first on an instagram post for a distillery i follow in canada um which because we're because conquer's going off to canada um it's um i've been following some distilleries over there just you know intrigue and, and yeah they'd started doing it so that the bell the bell had sort of been rung and i was thinking oh, okay this is possible and we were looking into it and then 
bar, bartenders obviously follow follow other distilleries and yeah i think there was someone in um psychopomp is it in, in bristol and started doing it as well um so yeah by no means was it a, a kind of like you know idea unique to us it was something that was being i could see was being done amongst other distilleries um so yeah and then and and the, i think the key turning point was us going into sort of proper production of because now we're doing sort of five liter jerry cans out into um yeah care homes of course businesses closed so i think people like parcel force we've been providing hand sanitizer into the rural mayor and parcel force um but that was quite a different leap that was all around um well it was all around licensing really so converting our our stocks of ethanol so we have we had like um three or four thousand liters of ethanol which hadn't yet been distilled into gin um and we just thought well let's convert that into hand sanitizer the only problem is that it's got it's duty is it will be applicable so um essentially for every it works out because there's, there's, there's 28 pounds of duty on every liter of pure spirit and hand sanitizer is 80 percent. so if you're doing a liter it's going to be yeah 25 pounds of just duty also in a liter of hand sanitizer before you even started to make it and add ingredients and all this kind of stuff um so it would have been prohibitively expensive yeah. So did you just have to go to the HMRC then, did you, and say, yeah, we're so, not making gin? And did they look at you really sceptically and say, well, yeah, right. Everyone, all the distilleries were coming, were, were approaching the HMRC saying that we sit, we're sitting on all this ethanol and oh, there's a in, there's a sort of national shortage of hand sanitizer. What what can we do? So um, they sort of sent the form saying, you know, here's, here's your application to, they call it denaturing. So when you denature alcohol, that t- basically means you make it taste disgusting. <laughs> So right. um, denatured alcohol is not fit for human consumption. So uh, think of things like methylated spirits and all this sort of stuff that tastes disgusting. Um, that's been deliberately made to taste that way so that it can be used for, it won't, it won't have duty applied to it, essentially. So, um, so they made a supply f- apply, but then um, a few days later, they didn't sort of, they basically relaxed all their laws to say that if you are a licensed distillery like we are, then you're automatically um, authorized to use your potable, so your your, your ethanol um, for the production of hand sanitizer. Um, That's pretty good, isn't it? Is that is that an indication of just how um, sort of fast the government were trying to respond to what was going on? Because I imagine that's the sort of thing in in normal times would you know be a lot of hoops to jump through oh yeah absolutely well we're currently going through those hoops now so we're kind of retrospectively applying and and we want permanent sort of license to do it um because at one point the government will revoke that easement of the law um so um yeah it's great i think it's a great example of quick thinking i mean the dealing with the hmrc from a duty perspective is is very challenging anyway so the fact that they were able just to go if you've got this license, you crack on, just let us know what you're doing. Um, it meant that we could, well, I mean, to date, we've, yeah, we've made, I would say, over 30, 30 odd thousand litres. How does that compare with how much gin you would have made? <laughs> yeah, it's a lot more. It's a lot more <laughs> than gin. 
Um, so when you said you, you use a waste product, the heads of it, is that that's not what you're doing anymore? Right, you're not that, basically that, making shitloads of gin so that you've got plenty of waste. You, you've now changed the process. Yeah, so now now we are essentially not making gin and we are making hand sanitizer from the, the ethanol. So when we when we make our gin, we buy in the ethanol and then we redistill it. Uh, so we don't we don't go we're not like a whiskey distiller that works from grain or, or and uh, makes a beer and then that's the alcohols taken from that. All, all gin distilleries work from um, buying in a high proof alcohol, which we then refine with botanicals. So we're just taking that base product, not running it through the stills, um, adding various ingredients and packaging it up, and off it goes. Amazing, just like that. Um, so is this is this now? You know, uh, you you talked earlier about the fact you thought you were going to have to furlough eighty percent of your team and stuff like that. Does that mean that you haven't had to do so? Is this now running as a sort of commercial enterprise, basically? Uh, yeah, yeah. So um, it's it's got to the point where we want um, we've, we've had actually brought in help to on the bottling line just to get it into jerry cans. Um, we we kind of deduced what through various conversations and speaking to customers and. Basically, five, five liter jerry cans into care homes, um, Dorset police, you know, postal service, that kind of thing. That's what they want, so they can take that five liter jerry can and then decant it into smaller containers. Um, we we looked into getting smaller containers, but because everyone's looking into getting smaller containers, they just didn't, <laughs> they just don't exist. And um, so we just decided to be right. We'll make it in bulk, send it off to send it off to where it's needed, and they can put it into any container it just sped the whole process up and made it really quick amazing so, so initially you were sending this stuff out for free to sort of the people that needed but n- now you're actually you know charging people yeah. for it is that right that's right yeah so we we, we 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 do a bit of both so we've got anyone any organization that was a charity or voluntary get approached a lot by um a charity that visits visits um People who need care, for example, and their and their budgets are absolutely minute, and so we would we would donate a five liter jerry can when, when on those kinds of approaches, and then we we're being approached by companies that procure PPE for care homes, um, and you know they're saying, well, we need 200, 200 five liter jerry cans, please, um, and and so it came to the point where it had to it had to be a commercial thing. We had to charge for it, so we worked out the pricing. And we and we took a very um, it's really it was really important to me that it, we weren't um, yeah sort of making excessive amounts of money from you know people's misfortune essentially mm, profiteering as Boris calls it yeah yeah and uh, we've seen I mean we for some reason we've been approached by people trying to sell hand sanitizer to us um, because we've put ourselves on some websites around helping COVID and stuff. And we've been people have been trying to sell us five liters of hand sanitizer for like 150 quid, and we sell it for 16 pounds plus back. Wow! And so we, it's been so important to me that we. So what we did is we just found out what hand sanitizer cost way before um, COVID happened. So what was the everyday run of the mill when there was no demand on the product? What was what were people charging? And it's basically 15, 16 pounds ish for five five liters, and so that's what we charge. Amazing, and can you make enough out of that then to to employ your team and to and to you know keep ticking over until normality returns? Or? Well, uh, yeah, I think the trick was that we we're quite fortunate that we've got loads of space. So 
the fact that we can do it on at scale means it's there's um it works if you're doing it on a very small scale it's quite prohibitively expensive especially when um all the ingredients are so in such high demand so you need glycerol and um, hydrogen peroxide and certain denaturing chemicals all of which because everyone's after them um so you're kind of at the mercy of the supply chain um and actually that's been most of my job in sitting here in my bedroom as we speak has been just trying to get hold of things which aren't ludicrously expensive um, unlike the government presumably you can't send a military jet to turkey to pick up your ethanol i'm no, guessing no exactly i'd use my bloody private one didn't i <laughs> <laughs> um, but you but you have been able to get sort of consistency of supply all the way through yeah it's been not too bad it, and also the, the the core ethanol as well has been really hard to get hold of um so a combination of um, everyone's workforce being at home their supplies in being disrupted much more demand has meant that um yeah just getting hold of the ethanol was a real challenge so we've, we've had to go out to many you know we normally buy from one one distillery um and had to go out to all kinds of things we even we even brought down a tanker from um william, william grant the scott scottish distillers um we've done all sorts of things to try and get hold of some um so yeah it's been it's been while the product is simple you know the hand sanitizer is simple it's simple to make the logistics of doing it on any kind of scale in a pandemic is a headache. <laughs> yeah, amazing. It must feel good, though, to have been able to um, pivot. It's kind of why I love this sector, I suppose, and the sort of creative entrepreneurial uh, bunch that we are. Is it, it must be nice to be able to, A, to find a way to navigate you know, a way through this that keeps your business running and keep the team employed, but also to be doing some good at the same time. Yeah, for sure. It's, um, it's amazing. It's been a crazy... Um, I think from the from the moment that the pubs shut, we, I started on, and, and I slowly realised that the the opportunity was in the hand sanitizer. There was about two to three weeks where I just it was a complete blur, and in in that time was able to set up um, essentially a completely new business. Um, so get all the processes, new equipment, um, find us, you know, all the all the different suppliers of all the different ingredients, set them up. Um, Meanwhile, trying to sort of make it and, and get it out the door as quickly as possible um, because people are desperate for it. Um, yeah, it was quite a bizarre process. And I, I remember speaking to my dad about it. And my dad lives in Norfolk. And I just, I planned to go see him. And uh, yeah, of course, all that all happened. And that all was um, knocked on the head. And I said, I said to him, yeah, this has just been crazy. I've just been working like a bit of a maniac since this all happened. And, uh, and my dad said, well, to quote Dr. Johnson, he said, nothing clarifies the mind better than, nothing clarifies the mind better than a man knowing he's going to be hanged in the morning. <laughs> uh, like, yeah, it's still or do or die, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, it's been interesting, I think, isn't it? As most of the country's been been furloughed and getting some time off, and I've been absolutely sort of mental yeah. busy yeah. Uh, throughout yeah. the whole process. And, and I feel sorry for my kids because you kind of look on and you go, oh, I'd really like to be hanging out with you. But fundamentally, you know, we are completely financially up shit creek. And if I don't work my ass off to try and find a way to navigate through this, it's not going to happen. So, Yeah, I mean, it was quite, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite literally a case of, yeah, unless unless you find out a new strategy or unless we get some kind of, Unless we work and find a new opportunity, then people will be put on furlough and will be closing the doors. 
Um, yeah. How have your team the therefore res- responded? I'm conscious that you've got some sort of, you know, pretty trendy, uh, funky people who love shaking up a cocktail and, and are obsessed by booze. Uh, are they also loving the sort of the dream yeah. of making sanitizer? Yeah. So t- what, telling telling that person that he has to add denatrants to alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, broke his heart. Um, and yeah, so initially we had a couple of people who had to be home. Um, we, we, someone has been furloughed because they can't physically get into work because they've got, um, a child to look after. Um, and we had two, about two weeks where a few people couldn't come in. We just, to be honest, we just kept paying them as normal. And we thought, well, this, this will come out of the wash and we'll, we'll be able to have them back as soon as, as soon as they're able. Um, everyone's role is, yeah being completely flipped on its head so we've had someone who's sort of head of sales um and sort of account management so would have come into your bar and met you and talked about gin is now um warehouse manager on sanitizer production (laughs) (laughs) she's loving it um so yeah i think everyone realizes that um the alternative is is um, being furloughed or, or as uh, my cousin and all various people I know who've just been straight out um, made redundant. Um, so I think it's the lesser evil. And, and while, while furlough is absolutely brilliant, it's fantastic for empl- employers and it's incredible for employees. Um, it is, you know, no, no one wants to be at home and, and told they can't do their job. Um, so, so yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty pleased and proud that we've got a, yeah, a team of how many people we've got over there now? We've got one, two, four, four, sometimes five. Um, yeah, keeping the gin bottling going and then yeah. in jerry cans and, and what have you. In, in We've got two separate buildings, so we've kind of split, split the, the business in two, really. Yeah, no, that's good. And, and it's funny what people will do now that, uh, yeah, they can't do their dream job. I had a, a couple of my uh, team in on Friday and Saturday night where we launched our first drive through restaurant. And, and these are kind of, you know, really good quality head chefs who could be cooking in sort of, you know, Michelin starred restaurants if they chose to be. And fundamentally, we were selling fish and chips out of a car park in Boscombe. And, uh, and it was funny to kind of look at their dreams and aspirations for what they wanted to do and, and, and the reality of what we were doing. But it was kind of like, you know, that's been the good thing that's come out of this, I guess, right. is that sense of community and whatever it takes. And we just muck in. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Really cool. Um, did you, do you qualify then, apart from the furlough scheme, as a, as a retailer in that set, did you qualify for any other government support, any kind of grants and stuff like that? Or would you literally have been on your Todd? Um, I don't think so. So we're a t- for the grant perspective, which is linked to, linked to your rates. I don't think we are um, applicable. We were told by the rates company that we weren't. I'm not sure that's totally true, and I think we're going to have to try another go at that um, because uh, there's this strange sort of gap. Like, if you look at all the rules around those that help, it never mentions manufacturing, um, which is really interesting. Um, and we are a, a manufacturer that's completely linked to hospitality and retail. You know, if hospitality and retail turn off, so does our all of our customers. So I think there is grounds for us to make an application for the grant um mm. we've literally this morning um we applied for the bounce back loan which i think is a brilliant scheme um which um i would recommend for any any business um but no a, a, apart from everything else um as i said we've, we've used the furlough scheme for someone who has to be at home to look after their kid because they can't find any 
childcare, obviously. Um, but apart from that, no, that's that's it. Okay. Well, I slip through the net of, of most things as well. My rateable value is too uh, high because 51K is the cutoff, so I don't qualify for any of the grants. Uh, too high? Too big. So Yeah, basically. Yeah, 51K is the cutoff, so you need to be between 15 and 51K. If you're over 51K, you don't qualify for any grants. So, uh, so yeah, so I don't qualify for any grants, and I'm too big to apply for the bounce-back loan. Uh, so we've got a Seabills application in with NatWest, but uh, they're, not, they're not particularly motivated. There's a cap on the um, bounce-back. Yeah, there's a big campaign running called Raise the Bar, which is to uh, apparently 71% of hospitality businesses don't qualify for the grant because their uh, rateable values are too high, basically. And I'm not entirely sure of what the logic is to have that as a cutoff, because obviously, you know, one of my urban garden down in the town centre, the rateable value is 53k. You know, so whether it was whether it was 50 or 53, you know, e- equally as affected uh, by the business. And, and I, I suppose there's got to be a cutoff somewhere, although I don't really know why there has, because if you're paying you know, half a million in rateable value a year, you're only chucking more money into the exchequer, you know, yeah. exchequer in the coffers and therefore a 25K grant may be less helpful at that point. But certainly at my level, uh, yeah, 25K per venue would have been exceptionally uh, helpful. But mm. hey-ho, may, maybe that will get changed in time. Um, wh- one of the things sort of I'm conscious of in the last couple of years is there's been this huge growth in the sort of craft distiller market. Um, mm. What's your thoughts of what's going to happen after this you know do, do you think I, certainly in hospitality for me i can see that a lot of of bars and a lot of restaurants are going to go under in the next six months uh unfortunately uh, and, and i think there was an oversupply in the market in some way and I, I would hope that it would be for me personally i'd hope it would be some of the sort of national chains that i i love less and i don't think care about hospitality in quite the same way although i'm concerned actually it'll be the smaller players that disappear but how about in the drinks production market what's your feel for will a lot of those craft distillers survive or are people going to struggle to get through this do you think well i i to to give you a bit of an insight into the craft gin craft distillery thing um that so in 2019 um we definitely felt the effect of a hugely overcrowded market. So we, you know, we were speaking to wholesalers, like the sort of people who supply you your your drinks, um, and they've got a thousand gins, um, you know, on their books between all the different flavors and all the different suppliers. Um, and so, um, certainly, I heard from a couple of couple of you know buyers, head buyers for these wholesalers that the sort of London style dry gin style of gin um, is in decline within their portfolio. So there's just too there's just too many gins. So like our Dorset Dry, for example, that kind of style, um, for the for the demand. Um, then we had Brexit, which was brutal on our business as well. So we really felt um, felt that from a perspective of we had to, you know, we held on to six months of bottles that we we, we get in Italy. So we had to hold on to all this stock, held up loads of money. And then we had the um, uh, the general election in December, which caused everyone to forget about Christmas until <laughs> the twenty first of December. Um, so basically, well, well before COVID even happened, the craft distilling um, sort of market in the UK was brutal. Um, we found, it, you know, we we noticed it, Brexit and gen- general um, busyness. So for then in March for COVID to come around, I generally thought, wow, this is this is this is really serious. This could be really serious for us. So I've absolutely no doubt that unless um some crafters believe have been able to pivot and do something different or 
have got some, you know, investment or they've saved some money over the years, that it's going to be really tough um, because it's been, it's it kind of, it's like the perfect storm of what we in sort of year eight, nine of a gin revolution. So there's loads of brands plus, um, yeah, a grotty year last year with Brexit and then this. So, um, yeah, I think so. I think um, it will put it will put a big dent in um, the big boys, and and it will cause some, hopefully not fatal, but yeah, some serious issues for our small smallies as well. Mm. So hopefully the opportunity is, I guess, if you can pivot as you have done and survive this, you come out the other side, and uh, yeah, things look a little bit rosier if there's less compelled competition. Although that leads into my question: what's what's your prediction and thoughts around? The hospitality sector there's been a lot of press in the last week about physical distancing and and the sort of it makes most restaurants unviable to operate have you given that any thought yeah i don't know i don't know i mean we um it will t- it will take a long time i think for it to, to be prized out of people's psyche um you know i, I you know even myself if, if southbourne was to open up overnight i'm not sure how quickly i'd go down there and ram into a busy pub um it's interesting, isn't it? So even if <laughs> interesting is a good word, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's it's a funny one. So yeah, it will be that kind of how long it will take for people to go back to normal. What the new normal will look like as well. Like I think you know people will be you know sanitizing their hands and and, and staying. You know, I think we'll start seeing people walking around with masks on even well outside of this pandemic. Things like that. Um, yeah. Is that why you're applying to be able to make sanitizer on a long-term basis? You think well, this impact is going to be really, sustained and that will help? Or? Yeah, I think that's purely because we, I can't, it's just not going to turn off. So I think we'll be doing this for the next year. Um, and we, you know, we're, we're a proper bona fide business and there's no reason why we shouldn't just apply for the, for the, for the licenses anyway. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, I just think that will be part of Conquer going forward. I'd imagine. Um, yeah. It. it's great it's a great yeah it's, i mean it's, it's just it's, it's greatly branded and a great product and stuff like that as well so uh yeah we'll be hopefully we'll be ordering some would you be more inclined hypothetically if you knew any seafront restaurateurs rupert do you think you'd be more inclined to go and get a takeout on the beach than go to your local pub on the high street that would definitely be my preferred option yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just making a making making a yeah. note of that uh, it's, rupert, it's, I'm I, you know i say i say that about the kind of there's it's kind of there would be that nervousness around how long it would take to think, yeah, I'm happy to go, to go back into a, into a bar or restaurant. But there's also motivation because, you know, everyone's going to be thinking, let's go and support. So there's a fine line, isn't there, between going out and support and then everyone getting over their whole kind of, you know, everyone's going to have the Stockholm syndrome, aren't they? And stay, stay indoors and be like, yeah, this is my captive. Let's stay here and let's order in. I don't know. That's the worry. Yeah. I think it's the reality. I think it's, it's why the industry is saying, look, you know, we, we employ over 3 million people. And if you turn off furlough instantaneously overnight and say, look, the government support is not there anymore because you are allowed to open. Okay, yeah. The, rea- yeah, the reality is there's a national health emergency and it doesn't matter if you say we can open, but we've got to follow physical distancing. One is businesses are unviable with those sort of rules in place. And two is the public aren't going to want to go and sit in an enclosed space you know crowded around a bar um because it's yeah they're not going to have that perception that it's that it's healthy to do so so Mm. i think you know yeah we're all having to look to innovate we're quite lucky to have access to some outside space you know in a couple of our venues at least so that might help but we're also looking at home delivery and frozen food and all sorts of Mm. other stuff but yeah it's a it's a tough time 
for the sector as a whole, which is a shame because for me, hospitality is, you know, in the point of being on planet Earth, it's your birthdays, anniversaries, it's where you meet your partners, it's your date nights, it's kind of, you know, that's where that's where the fun of humanity and the music and the clinking of glasses and, and even, you know, the outside events we talked of, you know, that that is humanity basically, isn't it? So to see it disappear is, is terrifying, but uh, hopefully we can get a little bit more support. I don't think the industry is asking for a, a huge amount. It just needs some relief for some taxes, so sort of, you know, a, a bit of a break with the HMRC for a little while. Um, we need to renegotiate pretty fast with landlords because we pay huge amounts of rents in hospitality and no money in just means that you can't pay those. So, um, yeah, the, the expectations aren't crazy demanding. It's not just about government handouts, but it's going to take a year to two years of some sort of clever approach so that we can come out the other side, I guess. Mm. Yeah, I think it'll, it'll probably on a, a vaccine uh, yeah i think as soon as that is is, is available um that will make people relax because well you know well you know, i might think that myself and my wife and children aren't aren't at risk you know, you know my my mum and dad and their friends they all are and so i would certainly be so cautious of going back into normal um social behavior while there still isn't a vaccine because while I might have a terrible, you know, flu, it could have serious implications for the people I know and love. And yeah, I think that that will be the game changer. Having the, the vaccine available will mean will mean the most vulnerable will be protected, and we can get back to some kind of normality. Yeah, well, that'd be nice. Brewery, so um, I love seeing um, Way Outback Brewery get on the case with their canning machine and doing their beer del- delivery and all the food delivery stuff. Like your, you know, I love I love the idea of all your chefs. Wearing hoodies in car parks, just dodgy dealing lasagnas. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's cool. I, I think um, yeah, just seeing seeing the businesses pivot and, and like good example. I've seen people with access to three D printers, like a friend of mine's been printing masks, um, and a friend of mine's been printing um, like ear protectors for face masks so where where you apply your um fabric um face masks right where it goes around the back of the ears apparently that causes real grief if you're wearing it all day and he's created this plastic in, insert which basically takes the pressure off the back of the ear like that's so cool that's, that's yeah. innovation and and a problem that no one no one would have thought existed um he's solved so so yeah um people are on it yeah, it is good, isn't it? It's nice to see um, just how responsive we can be, I suppose. And there is this desire not to go back to, you know, life fully as normal, if normal means yeah, the, the race, the sort of corporate cutthroat race to globalization and, and the domination of big brands and stuff like that. It's been nice to see people's creativity. And if we can, can sustain a little bit of that independence and community spirit coming out the other side, then um, hopefully the world will be better. I've loved the empty skies as well. Empty skies, no planes, quiet roads. Like I've been having yeah. bike, bike, bicycle rides with my little four-year-old girl, and we've been cycling on the road, all quiet. It's, it's like being in the 1950s. You know, there's no. It's like the the, the amount of noise and transport has disappeared, and it's really nice about that. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, there's definitely some good sides that come out of it. Okay, well, look, um, congratulations on finding a way through and navigating through, Rupert. It's good to catch up and, uh, yeah, get some some detail behind what looked like a mountain of plastic 
uh, bottles. So yeah. uh, where should people go if they want to follow what's going on or if they want to order any product? And, and remember that you do actually still sell beautiful gin and they should probably drink some booze yeah. as well. Where's the best place to go and keep track of what's going on? Well, we've got um, yeah some incredibly um, exciting Instagram and Facebook pages. So just search Conquer Spirit. But if you go onto our website, conquerspirit.co.uk, there's a there's a code there, discount code for 20% off all our spirits. So if, if you need your spirits lifting while you're locked inside, that's the place to go. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, I'll put a link uh, through on the show notes for the website as well um, and sort that out. But yeah, thank you, Rupert, for uh, for joining me. Really good. And uh, yeah, good luck. And I'm sure if you do get some downside, once you've nailed the production process of sanitizer, uh, you'll have some creativity space. And I look forward to seeing what you come out with for uh, yeah summer 2021, if it's too late for 2020, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. We're looking forward to talking booze again (laughs) yeah nice all right thanks mate all right all the best mark cheers I hope you enjoyed that chat. Personally, I found it amazing that Rupert and his team have produced over 30,000 litres of sanitizer. And hats off to him for nailing the complexity in production techniques, sourcing ingredients, bottling, and not least of all, motivating his booze-loving team to actually deliberately have to make spirits taste awful. I know some of his crew and how heartbreaking they would have found that. Now, if you could spare a minute to hit the subscribe button on your podcast player of choice and click on the five-star review or even write a few words on Apple Podcasts, that would be amazing and really helps the algorithms to keep giving this podcast some exposure. Thank you so much for your support and please do sign up for our weekly newsletter or get in touch via humansofhospitality.co.uk and I will have another episode out within the week. Cheers.